Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode, are you ready for this? 250. This fabric is kind of magical. It can be anything. And I was like, what is this thing that could be made into so many different types of clothing? Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and welcome to the 250th episode of the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. That seems crazy to me. We've been airing now for almost five years, and I'm not doing anything special for the 250th because I feel like that's just celebrating me. And I want to celebrate you guys. And the best way I can do that is to continue to give you good information that you can use and apply to growing your businesses. So here we go. Today is January 20th, 2020. Oh my gosh, that's a cool number too. I didn't even realize it till I said it, but I like this day even more now because two is my favorite number. I'm not going to go into that now in terms of why. Maybe that would be for another day. But I bring up the date because if you are anywhere near the Philadelphia area, next weekend, I'm going to be at the Philly Candy Show, which is going to be held in Cherry Hill. We're exhibiting there as the Ribbon Print Company. And I'm also doing a talk on how to distinguish yourself and stand out in your market. So if you're in the area, and particularly if you're a baker or a sweet maker, come check out the show. And of course, come to my class. Also, and I've been doing more and more of this lately, I'm planning on having a meetup one night of the show. So whether you're at the show or not, whether you're in the candy or baking industry or not, but you're in the area, I'd love for you to come and join us in the meetup. Details of that can be found in our Gift Biz Breeze Facebook group in terms of what night it is, where we're going to meet up, the time, all of that. And I'm really hoping to see you there. I started doing these meetups in 2019, and I've really found it valuable, the face-to-face, being able to meet you in person, connect with you. We can chat about business or we can just hang out and have fun. It just all depends on how the conversation goes and how many people show up. It's great with two or three, and it's also great with 20 or 30. (laughs) So we'll just see what happens there. And if you're not in the area, hopefully I'll be doing a meetup somewhere around you this year. Just stay tuned to the podcast and the Facebook group for more information on that. I have a really exciting past guest spotlight for you today, too. It's from Michelle Gowan of Cookie Nip. So she was featured in episode 193 just a little bit over a year ago. And you can go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear her full story. I'm just going to read to you directly from the update that she sent me. She shares some insight into two ways she's grown her business this year that you could use and tweak to address your own scenarios. These are really great. Are you ready? Here's what Michelle has to say. Cookie Nip continues to grow. One of the things that we have had success with is adding more retailers in cake supply shops. 
While we do get new retailers at trade shows, we added about 40 new retailers by sharing it on our social media page. We asked our customers to tell us the shop where they like to purchase their cake and cookie supplies. These shops were located all over the country, and it gave us an avenue for reaching out to them. We let them know that one of their customers suggested that she would like to purchase Cookie Nip at that store. Then we sent them wholesale information. It was so easy. Retailers want to know about the products that their customers want to purchase locally. We also will send them a few sample cookies and a recipe with the first shipment because people who taste the product are the most likely to purchase it. We know it's successful because within a few days, that retailer is ordering the product. Another thing that has worked well for Cookie Nip is the use of brand ambassadors. These are people who are industry professionals who are also influencers. Each brand ambassador has a discount code that they share with their followers. And then at the end of each quarter, we pay the brand ambassadors a dollar for each time their code was used in a purchase in our online store. It really helps when people who are well-known in the industry recommend our product, and it definitely boosts sales. So there you have it, two ways that Michelle has found growth in her business. And again, these are things that you can tweak and use as your own now. Michelle also went on to make comments about the podcast. She says, I enjoy each podcast, whether it's a business similar to mine or not. There's always something to learn from people who are on a similar journey. Thanks for bringing together the community of crafters who can earn money doing what they love. Oh, Michelle, thank you for that. I really appreciate those kind words. Up today on the show is someone who's in a situation that many of you beginners are probably in. Although she's significantly advanced her product already, she's doing it while working a full-time job. During the day, Mary is an analyst in digital marketing, but at night, weekends, and breaks in work, she's building a business of her own. I can't wait for you to hear all about it. Let's just go ahead and roll that interview. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to Mary Bemis. Mary is the founder of Reprise, a line of plant-based activewear aiming to free your closet from plastic. She founded the company to educate us about the ingredients in our clothing, so we have more control over our health and wellness. Reprise products never contain oil-based synthetics or recycled plastics because of their impact on the planet. Mary believes your skin deserves only the best, so they only work with plant-based fabrics to give you the cleanest wear. Mary envisions a future where people not only look to see what's in their clothes, but they expect better materials. As you can tell, she's passionate about environmentalism, and is an active member of the New York City sustainability community. Mary, welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you so much, Sue. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I don't know a lot about your story, so we are going to uncover it here in the show, and I cannot wait. (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah, likewise. Before we do, though, I have a traditional question for you for us to learn about you in a little bit of a different way. If you were to describe yourself as a motivational candle... What color and what quote would be on your candle? I love this question. So this one is actually an easy one for me. So I think color-wise, 
I was looking around thinking all the candles I have at home are sort of that natural wax color, kind of that like eggshell cream. I don't know. I think more natural materials and kind of what I find is really calming. But the quote I would have is because you can. And that's I actually have a Dove wrapper that I unwrapped one time like a couple years ago that had that quote on it. And I've put it in my bathroom and I see it every morning. And so that's something that really keeps me going and reminds me that I can do this because I can. Right. Because we're lucky enough to be in a position where we have the opportunities to do it. So we can take advantage of it. The thing is, we just have to, right? Exactly. Easier said than done sometimes, but it is. I love that you said it's sort of a privilege too. So it keeps me motivated. Wonderful. Well, I think about what you're talking about in terms of creating activewear. And for me, that seems like a daunting task. I could see the idea, but I would have no idea how to get to the thought, and then to reality. Before you get into that, though, share with us what you were doing up to that point, and then we'll get into how you came about with this idea. Sure. So it definitely was a daunting task for me. I don't come from a background in fashion or manufacturing or really a creative background. When I first moved to New York about six years ago, I was working at an investment bank, more on the finance side. I decided that that just wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted. It was pretty long hours in a pretty competitive work environment, which just really didn't fit with my personality and what I wanted to do. And so right now I still work full time at an advertising job. And that was a little bit better in terms of work-life balance and being in more of a creative environment. But the whole path to learning more about active work came and more sustainable fashion came at a total, a bit of an accident. I will I'll talk a bit more about kind of how step-by-step step I've built the company, but it actually came about because I had just moved apartments and I live in New York City and I live alone. So I live in a very small studio apartment in New York City and I had just moved from roommates to the studio apartment. So downgraded in size in many ways. And I was trying to make some extra money to cover some of the move and get rid of some stuff. And I was trying to sell a lot of my clothing on Poshmark. I hadn't used Poshmark before, but I had some friends who have sold clothes before. And for anyone that's not familiar, Poshmark is a peer-to-peer app where you can resell clothing directly to people instead of selling it like a Buffalo Exchange or something like that. You can just take pictures on your phone and upload it, and then someone will purchase it and you ship it yourself. So I was really excited to clean out my closet a little bit and post some pictures. And I figured to make my stuff really appealing, I'd be as descriptive as possible and list out all the different materials that my clothing was made from. And I was hoping that it would all be cashmere and wool and really nice, attractive things. And as I was listing out all the things, I noticed that everything that I owned was made with this fabric, this unknown fabric called polyester. At least at the time, I had no idea what that was. And it was weird to me that it was this like material that could be made into a sweater and then also in my jeans and in my leggings and definitely in all of my active wear. And so I was just like, what is this thing that's in all my clothes? And so I Googled it. And that's when I first realized how much of our clothing is made with plastic. And it was a pretty big surprise to me and sounds kind of silly now, but this was a few years ago. And it was really kind of what opened that can of worms of me really wanting to learn more and try to understand how is my clothing actually made? Because never once had I really given that any thought So that led to, you know, tons of documentaries, lots of classes, lots of articles, really trying to uncover the stuff that I never knew before. Well, smart of you to ask the question, because (laughs) I wouldn't even think of that. I just kind of think of polyester being another category, like cotton's a category. You know, I did too. And that's, but I think it was like, I was feeling these materials I was listing. It was like a really thick, heavy sweater and these spandexy leggings and a t-shirt. And I was like, 
this fabric is kind of magical. It can be anything. And I was like, what is this thing that could be made into so many different types of clothing? And I think that's what really was like confusing to me. That's why it's become such a widespread used fabric is its ability to transform into so many different types of clothing. But I think that's what really kind of puzzled me is like, what is this thing if it can? I always thought sweaters were made from wool and cashmere. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you if that's all you yeah. have, right? Well, I was hoping that's what it was. Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So is that where the plastic comes from? Is from just the polyester? Are there other materials within our clothing that are also plastic? Yeah, so nylon is also a synthetic-based material. So that's, again, in a lot of activewear and a lot of outerwear. So similar type of chemical structure. And then spandex is a tough one. There is a way to get natural rubber spandex. It's pretty hard to source and it's pretty expensive. And so that's one thing that it is still an oil-based material, but it is something that we only use a tiny bit of and we're trying to figure out how to kind of use more natural materials in that. But everything else, I think there's like rayon is a tree-based material. Cotton is a, obviously a plant-based material. There's a few that are starting to be better. It just also depends in the whole production process. So rayon can be pretty chemically intensive as well versus we work with a material called Tencel, which is a tree-based material, but it's done in an extremely clean way. So it's all certified, non-toxic, and really safe for both your skin and the entire production process. So people who are actually making that fabric from the raw materials. Got it. Well, I've got to say, for you not having had any knowledge in the industry before you started, you <laughs> certainly do now. <laughs> and you're educating us, just like you were saying, you know, when we were talking about the intro, getting people to understand this, because I really hadn't had any idea. I mean, I know of polyester and nylon and spandex, but I never really gave it another thought. I just felt like, well, we need those because that's how you make the material flexible, especially activewear, because it's got to yeah. move like all around, right? Exactly. And I think that was what it was kind of a big question of like, okay, is it even possible to make it with something else? And I think the big problem that I'm trying to tackle is we're so conditioned to have this feeling in our sportswear clothing that really feels kind of like it holds you in nicely and has that spandexy feel like you want them to feel a certain way. And so it's been tough to kind of transition that feeling that we're so conditioned to have, but still educate. There's a lot of things like Tencel has all of the properties that we would seek in our activewear naturally, like it's resistant to odor and bacteria, and it always feels cool to the touch, and it's incredibly sweat wicking. And so a lot of those things, they apply chemical finishes to polyester to give them those properties, whereas a lot of natural materials have that naturally. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Yeah, and applying chemicals would be a no-no for sure. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> you have actually two things that you're encountering here. One is creating a product that will fulfill your requirements. Forget even about starting a company because you can't start the company until you have the product, right? Right. So take us to that point where you're like, I'm not seeing anything out there. Maybe I can do something about this. Yeah. So I had been familiar with the brand Reformation, which is huge now. And most people are probably maybe if they're interested in sustainable fashion have seen them. But I think they started a direct-to-consumer brand online. They have some stores in kind of all over the country now, but mostly New York and LA. And they really championed sustainable fashion in a younger millennial woman's market, I guess. And they are very transparent with the materials they use. So that is when I first started learning about, they have a really great part of their website, all about the different materials and the ratings that they gave them. 
and they make learning about this kind of like daunting, scary thing about fabrics pretty easy to understand. And so I started there and I was reading a lot and they work with Tencel. And that's kind of where I think on their website, they describe it as the Beyonce of fabrics. And I was like, okay, you have my attention. <laughs> yeah, for I sure. want to learn more. And they link out to the manufacturer's website. And so I started to read all these things like what I had previously said that it's naturally resistant to odor and bacteria. It's sweat wicking. It's cool to the touch. It's made with natural materials. It's certified non-toxic. And I was sort of like, this sounds really great for activewear. So you're right. Like my initial thought wasn't, I'm going to start a company. I need to make this. It was like, how can I learn about materials? So I just changed my buying habits. So when I learned about these materials, organic cotton, Tencel, any recycled materials, linen, I started searching, just Google searching for clothing made with that. And organic cotton leggings have existed for a long time. I'm not making something totally brand new, but I really wanted something that also still felt that feeling of activewear. To me, organic cotton feels the way it feels, feels kind of like your lounge, your comfort, your wear, where mm-hmm. your comfort wear that you wear at home. And so I really wanted something that felt more that I could go work out in and could have this like still feel comfortable, but still have more of these like performance characteristics. So if I was going to go sweat in them, they were also great for that. And that's when I really was like, I cannot find anything that's not, you know, recycled polyester was starting to be big, which it's huge now. There's so many companies that that are doing that, which is great, but it's still a plastic based materials. And you still have, for me, it was the issue of microplastics. So the small pieces of plastic that shed when you wash your clothing. So I was pretty dead set on, I want to only a natural and plant-based material. Wanting to buy it versus making it, it's a totally different thing. (laughs) Totally. And so I think I thought there was this light bulb moment where as I was Google searching for products with these new materials that I had learned about and I couldn't find anything, I think everyone kind of has this moment of like, if I want it and I'm talking to a few other people who also may want it and I can't find it, like maybe there's an opportunity here. And that's when I think I started to think more about, I was still obsessed with learning all of this as much as I could about the materials. And it wasn't something that had lasted a week or two. It was starting to go on for months of me watching documentaries and digging up more information that I was like, maybe I should start to invest in some proper education around this topic and see if there's an opportunity here to start something. Interesting. Yeah. So this wasn't just a passing interest, you're saying. Yeah. The more you dove in, the more interested you got. And it became, you know, start, started, I guess, to build into a passion for you. Definitely. And I think I recognized I still, there's so much to learn. And I definitely am the type that I want to feel like I have some sort of base knowledge before I was going to jump into anything. And I wanted to make sure that if I was going to invest the time and money, that it was really something that I wasn't just really interested in for a week and then was going to pass. And that really turned out to not be the case. I couldn't get enough of everything that I was reading. Okay, so I'm really glad you just said that because now where was it and how did you have the indication that you said to yourself, okay, I have enough information at this point now to at least start taking some type of an action? And I ask you that, Mary, because so many people will research and research or think and think and never actually flip the switch to actually doing something. Mm -hmm. So how did this happen for you? Sure. So I really prefer to learn like in person where I can ask as many questions as I want and really get to connect with people. I think there's so much, like you said, you know, you can research online forever. And I think you start to get overwhelmed because there's so much information out there online. And you're always wondering, is this right? You read conflicting stuff. 
I felt like I really needed to get in person and talk to people. And so I got incredibly lucky that the company I work for, our first office was across the street from FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. And they happened to recently launch a sustainable design entrepreneur's certificate. They had night classes from six to nine, most nights a week. And so that was when I decided, let me go in person and let me start to meet some of the teachers here. FIT is really known for having teachers who work directly in the field. And so they can share their experience with you and you can start to meet other people who share this passion and really start to decide, is this idea right? And so I signed up for the classes. I signed up for all of them. So I was like every single night a week, I was going to classes. I really wanted to get as much of it done right away as I could. And that was the moment when I started, I was still really nervous. I was pretty sure I was wanted to start a company, but I was still masking it. And I said, I think I have this idea for something or I'm interested in sustainable activewear, but I was too scared to outright say I'm doing this because I just wasn't sure if it was still a good idea. And I think being in person with so many people who share the same passion about sustainable fashion and the teachers there who are like, this is a good idea. And here I work in the manufacturing district in New York. I can introduce you to a factory someone else had a background in sourcing. And so they knew all where to get all of the materials that I was looking for. And that's what really gave me the push I needed of like, I've met all of these wonderful people who are now here giving me resources and giving me the steps that I need. And that's when I felt like more comfortable being like, you know what, I think I can do this. I think really getting out there and talking to people and sharing it with people and seeing how willing people are to connect with you over your idea and, and kind of help you when they see how passionate you are about something. For me, it was a huge reason why I was able to get started. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because first of all, you're continuing the learning, you're connecting with people who have resources, like you said. So you started to see where this was more possible for mm -hmm. you. And with the connections and then factories, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to point out gift biz listeners for you with different products that you may be thinking of doing, go to trade shows where you know those products are going to be or the people who provide the ingredients that you use to make your products, whether it's beads or all the foundational elements of your product. That could be one way of doing it, going to local classes or even going to other people who have businesses similar to what you're thinking about, but maybe not in your same hometown, right? Because then you'd be a competitor. But just ways for you to use what Mary's talking about and spinning them off for things that you're thinking of. It's so great you said that because that's exactly what there's a huge fabric trade show in New York twice a year. And I believe it may also go to LA if there's anyone on the West Coast. And it's called Text World and it's free to register and attend. And they have hundreds of different fabric suppliers who come in from all over the world. And I signed up with the business name that I was thinking of. That's all you need is just an email and a could be a fake business name. And I was able, exactly as you said, you get to go and you see all of the things you could be sourcing or the other products. And you get to start to talk to people. And it's really cool to go to get to see, you know, as soon as I started to see this fabric in person and start to talk to people again, I think as many steps as you can kind of take in person to really connect with people and see the products and see all of the different materials is really a great motivator to get the creative juices flowing of like, oh, this is what I could create with this material that I'm seeing in person now. And you're also building your network of connections in your future industry. Exactly. So I'm sure you could reach out to them if you had questions or steps along the way or ideas. And what I've continued to hear from people is I think we put it in our mind that competitors don't want to share, where I found that more people are willing to share than you think. Oh, my gosh. And what's the worst? They're going to say no. Sorry, I'm not going to tell you my secrets. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's happened once or twice. And I think 
I don't know, they're lost. But even I think one thing that I learned so from another kind of business mentor was that, yes, you may look around the market and see there's a million sustainable activewear companies out there. You will have when you're creating a product in your company, you will be the only one that's making it in your specific way. And so I think don't let going to something like a trade show where there's a ton of people also sourcing and also looking at, in my case, activewear fabrics deter you from creating your company because there's still a way to make it unique. There's still a way to make it yours. And so I think that's one thing too. I started to get nervous as I was, oh my gosh, they just came out with something similar. Like, why am I even doing this? But you can still do so many different things. There's Under Armour, there's Nike, there's Lululemon, there's a ton of large activewear companies out there selling similar products, but they all have found a way to really make them unique. And so that's another piece of advice is really don't let the competition out there deter you because you're the only one that can make the product in your way that you really want to. Yes. Words of wisdom for sure. All right, let's carry on with your story. I'm thinking (laughs) at some point here, you're going to make a prototype. We'll continue on with Mary's story right after this quick break. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or fine packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. Yes. So after the FIT classes, I felt I'm going to do this. I was pretty committed. And so I signed up for, there's an accelerator program called Factory 45. And it was similar. There was some overlap between what I learned in FIT and the Factory 45 program. But what was appealing to me, it was a step-by-step process in how to launch a sustainable fashion business. So it gave you the exact email templates to reach out to people. And the path there was really leading into a crowdfunding campaign. I chose Kickstarter. And that's how I knew I wanted to launch. I wanted to, a clothing business is a lot of money. And I wanted to make sure there was validation and people were actually interested in what I was creating. So through the Factory 45 program is how I learned how to find that first pattern maker to make the sample. And so funny, I think looking back now, when I've done this now a few times, a few rounds of production, I showed up with a pair of, I think, Nike leggings. I wasn't trying to make anything too design heavy. I really wanted some simple black leggings, but just made with a better material. And so I showed up and my horrible sketches, they probably could look like they were done with someone's left hand. I'm mm-hmm. right-handed. So it was, they're pretty, I don't come from I don't have a strong ability to sketch. But that didn't stop you, Mary. I mean, that's a good point right there, right? Yeah. You had the vision, you had the idea, you did the best you could to put your vision on paper and you went with it. Yeah. And I will say, I think there's so many people who I meet now who my sketching is bad or I don't know how to put together the perfect template to get a pattern made. And I think the factory maybe preferred 
to work in a more templated way, but you can make it work. And eventually I'm trying to move towards standardizing the things that I give to them. So they're able to work with me a little bit more easily. But I showed up with this sketch that was horrible and a pair of leggings. And I said, can you help me make this? And again, I was lucky we were still in the garment district and I would kind of like sneak away during my lunch break and meet with this pattern maker. And he was really great. And he kind of, because I wasn't asking for anything too crazy, it was so a pair of leggings, which is a pretty basic pattern. We worked from there. And so he ordered fabric from a place in LA that I had found through the Tex World show. So from going to that trade show meeting with a fabric person who is willing to work with my low minimums, they'll send you a few yards at a time, which a pair of leggings uses about a yard of fabric. And so it's really affordable to kind of get started in that way and make one pair of leggings. And then I kind of, I made them in my sample size because I didn't have money to work with a fit model and all these things in kind of the normal way. And so, and then I just wore them a bunch and I kind of wear tested my own product. I think that's important. Yeah. Versus you saying a model, you need to know that what you're going to start making performs properly. And yeah, and you'll have the most confidence if you're the one who's worn it a ton and you've sweated in it and you've washed it and you've kind of worn it until it hopefully doesn't wear out. <laughs> But longevity is also an issue, right? Because especially with activewear, because you're moving around a lot. So you're stretching the material, probably you're washing it a lot, etc. Exactly. Yeah. All important. Okay. I don't want to stop you. This is really fun. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so then I had the sample that I loved. It was finally a pair that I felt really good about. How many rounds did you have to go with a prototype till you felt like you had one to bring to market? Yeah. So the leggings, I got lucky. I, I think we made two different samples. The first style we launched with has this little like lace up detail in the front. I wanted something that was stylistically a bit different than really, really super simple black leggings. Although we've just come out with a pair of those very simple ones because that's what people ultimately were asking for. But the leggings, they were really long at first. For some reason, they came out and they were kind of like over my ankles. And then so we shortened them. I did originally for the Kickstarter launch with five products. It was a t-shirt, a tank top, a sports bra, a pair of shorts and leggings. I will say, keep it simple. Someone told me they're like, just choose one or two products. And I was like, oh, five is simple enough. And I would say <laughs> that I have since scaled down to only two styles of leggings that share the same pattern because five was even a lot to manage. Well, in five, it wasn't even the same product. No, you yeah. Know, they were all different. So that's when we had a ton of different rounds. The tank top, I probably made like five different samples. And because I was on a pretty tight bootstrap budget, I kind of at some point was like, you know what, <laughs> I'm not 100% happy with this, but I don't really have a choice and it looks good enough and I kind of need to get it out there and get feedback from people because maybe what I'm trying to perfect isn't actually what people want. And so that was another thing where a few of the products, we went through a couple rounds of samples and I'm going to be honest, I kind of ran out of money and I was like, these are pretty good. I know I have some of the products that I love, some of them I think people may like and you know would be willing with a Kickstarter. You're usually pricing at a lower price kind of in that for people taking a risk and so people will give you feedback. And so at some point I was like, I think these are good enough. I had a bunch of friends test the rest of the sizes that we made, give me feedback. And I felt confident enough that there was something that I was still putting forth that was good, but that I could probably receive a lot of feedback on. And so that can be the tough part too. Okay. So if you were doing the Kickstarter all over again with what you know now, would you have only done one or two products then? Or maybe one product with two variations or? 
Yeah, I think I really would keep it simple. I think right now, so we have gone and just done the leggings. And so I think picking one product that you can make that you know you're super, super confident in, either whether it's one product in two different colors or maybe two very simple styles. So maybe the legging and a shorts or the tank top was the one that was kind of our next bestseller. We'll probably reintroduce it again, but it kind of needed that time to take a step back and simplify. I would say as simple as you can keep it, you'll be working on so much when you launch and we're trying to get the product out there and collect different feedback from people. And I think trying to collect feedback on five different styles and you're getting different things from so many different people was pretty overwhelming. So if you can take your one core product and get a bunch of feedback from people and kind of fix and work on that until you know it's perfect and then introduce something else. That is one thing of going back that I've learned and I would definitely do differently next time. And I'm thinking also for our listeners, Mary, not everyone would be doing a Kickstarter type situation, Mm -hmm. but they could be doing craft shows or farmers markets where people are tasting a product or you're just going out. So you're wanting to see which version of your product sells, that kind of thing. So that testing mode and keeping it more simple in terms of the number of options that you have would be your advice. Yeah, I think it applies to definitely all of those scenarios. I think I've done a bunch of pop-up events since. So same kind of thing as like a craft show, a lot of these small vendor tables. And I think having your one core product and asking as people, anyone who stops by the table, as many questions as you can about sort of that one product. And you can also then ask them, if this product isn't for you, what else would you like to see from us? And that way, if you want to introduce things in the future, you're also getting kind of that demand of like, what else would people want? And that's sort of how we will probably go forward and introduce new products is really what people are asking for, if not the one that you have started with. You get a wealth of information when you do something like that. Yes. But you also are setting yourself up for criticism or maybe some negative comments. And I'm sure that you had some people who had ideas or ways you could improvise. I don't know how crazy it got in terms of the feedback. But I'm also thinking of our listeners and they're saying like that, you know, I'm going to be hurt if anyone says one bad thing about my product, I'm going to just go in a hole and bury myself and never come out again. It's hard. Yeah. Before this, it's so funny. I've always been a pretty, I love to be behind the scenes. I've always worked at jobs kind of behind a screen. I was terrified to do this because I really don't like putting myself out there. And I had never before posted something about a project that was really passionate to me. So even just announcing that I was working on a company, I had kept it quiet for so long, honestly, until like a month or two leading up to the Kickstarter, because I was kind of terrified that people's feedback would get in the way of my progress. Like I didn't want to tell people until I was like, it's too late. I have it ready. I'm going to do it. And so I definitely recognize that I think it was really scary to get feedback. And I think it's a different timeline for different people. I think some people can start to get feedback before when it's just an idea. And I was trying to do that, but I was also like, I really, I know that I want to do this and I don't want too many harsh criticisms to deter me, but it is inevitable. One thing that I often hear is price point. And I know that can be a really tough thing for sustainability. And I think for me, it really just teaches me about how much more I need to educate about sort of why the prices are at a certain point. Sourcing materials that are made in with less chemicals and in a more lengthy process, always, you know, the time it takes to make them. And then the way that the forests are grown, you know, without any pesticides and it's grown in a regenerative forest. There's a lot of things that go into the raw materials that make them more expensive. We manufacture locally with a woman-owned factory in New Jersey. So manufacturing locally versus overseas tends to come at a higher cost as well. So I think that's the biggest criticism I've heard is like the price point. 
And I think it's a fair criticism, especially when you look at other vendors out there who are able to sell product at a much lower price. I always welcome the feedback. You have to understand, you know, where people are coming from. And then we just introduced a platform called QuadPay, which allows you to break up the price into four different payments to try to address this and try to meet people in the middle. I've used it for purchases I've made that have made something like that with a price point a bit more. But I think it's tough. And in person, hearing the feedback, a criticism, you know, when you're selling at a trade show or an event, it's even harder to hear it in person. Although people can sometimes be kind of brutal online, but I think it's part of it. I think so much easier said than done, but don't let it deter you because there's probably 10 people who love what you're doing for every one person that's going to give you that criticism. And I think today, a lot of people are focused and value sustainability too. Mm -hmm. you know, lower carbon footprint, all of those types of things. And there are a group of people who are willing to pay more for that because it's their value. Right. It's the values that they hold within themselves. So it depends on you need to make sure also, I'm not speaking to you, Mary, as much as a global statement mm-hmm. that you're actually talking to people who are your potential customer. Exactly. Because that's going to be the most valuable feedback that you can have. The other thing, Mary, that I'm hearing from your story that I want to underline for all of us is, and you may find this surprising, Mary, but I've seen it happen often. You took graduated steps. You learned that there was an opportunity You were educated on the situation. You made a prototype. You started testing through Kickstarter. Graduated steps that continue to build on themselves. That's really important in terms of the way to progress versus thinking you've landed it right from the beginning, make a ton of inventory only to come and find that there's a flaw in the design. Nobody really wants it. (laughs) You know, those types of things. And I have seen that happen. So I just want to reemphasize the fact that what you did was so smart. And Gift Biz listeners, I want you to think about that too if you're in this situation. It's so easy to want to jump to the end line where you're selling a ton of product, but you want to go through these graduated steps first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I think that's really important. I think that was something that helps being on a limited time and budget to kind of like control those steps. But it's hard. I think, of course, anyone wants to see get to the point where you're growing a ton and you have all these different products and you're kind of at that level. But it also adds the ton to your plate, the more product you have and the more units you have, the more work you have to do and the more people you need to help you. And so I think it's still me running the business by myself right now. And I'm packing up every order that I get from my kitchen. And so I think you just kind of have to think about yourself too in in kind of that and put yourself into how would you feel if you had to deal with all those products or things like that. And I think that kind of helped me, you know, you can only take on so much. And so sort of if you can, what's that next step that you feel comfortable taking on to kind of grow it in a, I guess, for lack of a better word, more sustainable way. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you want it to still be fun. I mean, you're starting this because you have a passion for the product, but you also don't want it to just completely take over your life. Although let's both admit many times that it does. <laughs> yes. But you can't be up at night until three in the morning. You know, if you, like Mary, you're talking about you have a, another position right now, mm-hmm. like it has to fit within your overall life too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then from Kickstarter, so that's how people started to get to know some people on a certain level. People started to get to know about the product, try the product, you were able to get feedback, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Where did it go from there in terms of getting exposure of the product out to the world? Sure. So the Kickstarter was great. We raised just under $20,000 and had, I think, like 200 customers. And I reached out to like, and I probably knew like 90% of those people. And I reached out to every single person who's who probably I've ever talked to. 
I just went through my Gmail and was like, A, B, C, like any email I could get, I was really reaching out to. And so that's a great question because it was sort of like the Kickstarter kind of tapped out my friends and family and friends of friends network. And I was really like, okay, what's next? Where are these other people? And so I focused on a lot of, I have found better success doing a lot of these in-person events. It's not the most scalable, but I think to get that kind of core, a couple hundred customers who really, really love what you're doing, I found that connecting with people in person is kind of the best way for me to kind of get those champions who are then sharing it with their friends and their network. So I attend a lot of, it's a full range from, I did one trade show to a lot more smaller. There's fitness event where they have uh, vendors just reaching out to local wellness boutiques and asking if I can come do a mini pop-up for a weekend. And sort of there's ways to do it for free too. You know, if you're willing to bring in people and kind of share on your social media about their location, it helps because it brings in people to their store. I've been trying every other weekend a lot, but I maybe like every other weekend or twice a month to have an event like that. And looking now a bit outside of New York as well, because I recognize there's so many other places that have people that would really, I think, appreciate what we're creating. But I think for me, it's been such a great opportunity to connect with people in person. I think if you're selling, I'm selling, the only difference that I'm really selling is a material. And so I think people really want to see it and feel it in person. And they immediately try the leggings on. They're like, oh my gosh, they're so incredibly soft. Or they'll feel the fabric. And there's always this surprise element of, I had no idea how soft it would be. That's been sort of something I've really tried to focus on. Eventually, I can't be spending every single weekend traveling around the country doing these pop-ups. But it's been a great way for me to build the kind of core group of people who then have actually forwarded and shared the product with other people, which is how I'm reaching new people I haven't met yet. I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking. You you get (laughs) one person who you don't know to like it, buy it, wear it, and then share. And then Mm -hmm. the next person's interested and on and on, of course. For those people who then aren't able to see you at the pop-up because they're the friend of someone who bought, then you have an online presence too where someone could buy, correct? Yep. We have a store online and working with some, hopefully eventually some wholesale opportunities. But it's funny because my day job is in digital advertising. And so I know so many people when they start and I have a lot of peers and I'm tempted to immediately want to go and run Facebook ads or Instagram ads. And it's tough. The online space is really crowded right now and it's kind of expensive and it's really hard to get people's attention. Nowadays, I'm totally guilty. I have like a very short attention span online, especially for ads. I feel like we almost learn to kind of gloss over them a bit. And so I think as much as I wanted to just started advertising a bunch on social media and getting the word out there, I felt that my time and money was better spent kind of cultivating these in-person relationships that people could walk away and say, oh, I saw them in person. You know, I met her. She was really helpful. I saw the product. It felt great. And it was a much more meaningful use of time and money, at least at the beginning, to kind of get the word out that way. But that's my personal take on it. Okay. Will you talk with us a little bit more about how you got your individual boutique pop-ups? I think that would be really interesting for everyone to hear. How did you select which ones you were interested in and how did you initiate the contact and actually have it happen, have the actual event happen? Yeah. So it's kind of a full range of things. I would say anything from following certain people. So one of them was a kind of fitness influencer in the Instagram world. And I just happened to see she posted that she was doing an event. So I messaged her directly and I said, do you have space for vendors? Are you still looking for people? I would love to vend if you could send me more information. So I think a lot of it is reaching out to people directly. There's usually like a vendor's fee. So 
sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes it's not. And then other times I have, so we just did an event with Parachute Home and that was something I've done a bit of kind of the past year and since launching, really looking into who is my customer? Is it exactly what I thought when I launched? Who's been buying? Who's been coming back and purchasing again? And then looking at sort of what are the brands that they are also liking? You know, you can do a lot on social media by finding people kind of looking at what people who are interacting with your brand are also liking. And so realizing that the sort of like comfort leggings and comfort at home feeling was really what people was resonating with people. That one, I just reached out to them. Um, I knew someone who worked at the store and they were willing to lend the store for an event and kind of created that one out of nothing a little bit and just said, let's do this for your store. We'll bring in people, we'll bring in a few speakers and put together a panel event and then everyone can bring product and kind of shop there. Stores that sell complimentary products are usually willing to do that. So I think there's a lot of free ways to get creative. I'm sure newsletters that are advertising certain craft fairs But I think if you can think of places that you'd love to, brands you'd love to be aligned with that happen to have a physical presence, if there's something you can offer them by getting new people into their store and allowing you to just have a small table space for a couple hours of a day, I found people are usually pretty receptive to it. Yeah. I mean, if you're not a direct competitor, but the audience is the same, they may come in and see you and then also purchase products that would normally be at that store and get potential customer into the store who'd never walked in before. Mm Mm-hmm. So absolutely. So as you look into the future, Mary, what comes next? We're really trying to grow now. So I think over the past year, like I said, I've really done a kind of a lot of like, okay, the Kickstarter, it's tough. Kickstarter for me was really like, okay, the idea is out there, but I didn't really come from a brand building background and kind of turning it from an idea into an actual company. And so the past year is really going back and building a lot of that foundation. I probably should have thought about more, but I really wanted to make sure that the idea people liked. And then you can kind of go and tailor more of the branding stuff as you realize like, okay, this is actually something that people are interested in. So we just have kind of did a bit of a relaunch, have the site kind of understanding more who our customer is. And now I think this next year is really trying to take that and kind of amplify it. So looking for more PR opportunities, getting outside of New York, trying to really put in programs to get the word outside again, outside of my extended network and really grow the brand awareness is I think the big one is still still kind of local because I've been focused on a lot of local New York events. And so really trying to kind of get people and get myself out of my comfort zone and start to travel a bit more with the brand and introduce it to new people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a work in progress, right? Step by step. You need to focus on the product to get that yep. down and solid. You can't do everything at once, right? Yeah. And it's tough to grow it when you, I felt not confident, but I felt like, okay, people love this idea, but do I really know now what this bigger message is and what people really want? They love the leggings, but what's, I think I needed to do a lot of kind of like internal work of like, what's truly our mission, kind of the typical company brand building things like what's our mission? What's our goals and objectives? What does our brand look like? Who is our brand? What does it feel like? There are a lot of kind of take a step back and I think it's okay to get sort of a product validation first and then take a step back. Once you know people love your stuff, you can kind of tighten things up internally. And so I think that was the last year has been really good for that. It's been a huge learning experience for me because like I said, I did not know a lot of this. So I've relied on a bunch of friends who have expertise in this area to help me then pivot a bit more and to have it feel like a company that I can be proud of. And that's a lot easier now for me to go in front of new people with something that I feel like I've put a ton of more like thought and work into, which is really nice. I also like that you really started with friends and family. And a lot of people will be anxious to do that because those are the people where our ego's on the line, right? If you start something and they don't mm-hmm. like it or the product's no good, but it's the right place to start for sure. It's scary. 
It's almost the hardest people to sell to. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm so glad you bring that up in terms of where you started and your demonstration of that because it is the right place to start for sure. Mm -hmm. Some of the feedback you can't take as much, not from an emotional standpoint, but they're probably not going to say things they don't want to make you sad. You know, they don't want to hurt you. So you have to take that kind of with not a grain of salt, but filter it a little bit, I guess I'd say, or have really trusting friends who will honestly totally tell you even if you're going to start to cry. Yeah, it was really tough to know kind of like, is this true feedback? or Are you just being nice and friendly? It's okay. You can tell me if you really hate it. And so I think they're a great place to start because they'll tell you all the great things. And hopefully you have those people in your life too, that you feel comfortable saying, giving the product to them and saying, you know, really, truly like, tell me what you think about this. Because like, it only hurts you if they're not honest, if they really don't like it. And so, but everyone has those friends that are really willing to give you the critical feedback. And the first sales, you know, no matter where they're coming from, those first dollars that you start seeing coming in help you build your confidence also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, where would you direct our listeners online to learn more about your product so they can take a peek? Yeah. So we sell everything right now through our website, which is just repriseactivewear.com. And then share a lot of the new product and kind of behind the scenes images on Instagram, which is just at repriseactivewear. Perfect. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And Gift Biz listeners, of course, there's a show notes page where we'll have Mary's links. And I'm also going to link to a lot of the resources that she's been talking about as she's been working her way through the story here. So if there was anything that you didn't catch, just jump over to the show notes page and I'll have that link there for you. Mary, this has been so interesting just to learn, understand the product. I think it's so valuable that you found an opportunity and then continued to pursue it. You know, and it started with one intent, just learning and then evolved into, well, maybe I could make my own product Mm -hmm. and then maybe it could be a company and then I'm going to learn more. And then you went to school and that like all of that together makes such a beautiful picture and a beautiful example of how to start a business. Thank you. I am thrilled that you were here to share the story. It's a great model and I appreciate your generosity and letting us all see behind the scenes. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It's always fun. I love sharing it. And I love if there's any way to kind of be that motivator that it it is possible you don't have to come from there's no typical background to start a company. And so thank you for the opportunity. It's been really fun to share it. Thank you. So there you have it. Mary's proof. Those of you who want to start your business and are putting it off thinking there's no way that you can fit it in because of your full-time job, I really encourage you to self-reflect. Is this true or is this an easy out you're giving yourself? If this really is a dream of yours to turn your hobby or your craft into your very own business, you don't need to wait. And there are plenty of resources, just like this podcast, out there to help you. Why not make 2020 your year? Next week's show is a really interesting one, too. Our guest has created such an obvious product, one we all already use. But when you hear what he's done with it, you'll be saying to yourself, oh, my gosh, how smart. And I'll be saying to you, There are lots of other ideas out there just waiting for you to grab onto. Whether it's something that you would integrate on top of your current product, or maybe you're just starting and you're on the search for a core product of your very own business. Get all the details next Monday. And until then, 
Make it a great week. Bye for now. This episode is all wrapped up, but fortunately, your gift biz journey continues. If you're thinking of turning your hobby or craft into a business, our gift biz gal has something just for you. Are you already thinking about your business name and logo? Wait, that's not the first step. Before you spend a lot of time and money on your new business, make sure your product is positioned and priced so you'll see results right from the beginning. That way you can start your business with confidence. Check it out at giftbizunwrapped.com start. And until next time, happy business crafting.